Service Transformation, Reinventing Service for Clients and Employees, hosted by Will Lombardi and Fred Jumbukeshwaran. Okay, well, welcome everyone to another exciting episode. We've received fantastic feedback and engagement from our initial episodes, which has been truly awesome. Your anticipation for us to dive deeper into the practical experiences and the real life cases um, and exploring topics related to people, culture, and process is great feedback. And we encourage you to keep it coming. We want you to be on this journey with us and to make sure it's a valuable experience uh, for you, not just Fred and I. So thank you for being part of this journey with us. So today, Fred and I have the privilege of hosting a distinguished guest, a global visionary leader, the CEO of Dynamic Entertainment, Jerry Pearson. We get to hear how his leadership plays a key role in transformation and where service is a core value to their success. A little bit about Dynamic Entertainment. It stands at the forefront of location-based entertainment, a term which you may not be immediately familiar with, but you are familiar with the exceptional design and products if you've ever visited a theme park of the likes of Disney and Universal Studios. Dynamics has left its mark on over 60 major entertainment rides globally, featuring iconic experiences like Harry Potter, Spider-Man, and Batman, a few rides that my family got to experience. Their latest addition, that anticipated Ferrari experience in Abu Dhabi, is a testament of their ongoing commitment to delivering the thrilling and immersive entertainment for their customers. We will hear from Jerry, who was tapped as a CEO coming out of a bankruptcy and restructuring of a 100-year-old company, and his focus on culture, talent, and process through a transformation, which are three key components of that five-point approach that was discussed in our last episode. So beyond his professional accolades, Jerry is a loving husband, a father of twin daughters, and a son. He is a Navy veteran. By the way, thank you for your service, Jerry. He also is an avid reader and a World War One and World War II buff. So without further ado, Jerry, if I can hand it off to you, tell, tell us a little bit about Dynamics, the company, and your leadership story also. And then Fred and I can go into a couple questions. Thanks for the introduction, Will. You know, my background starts as a paper boy at 12 years old in Trenton, New Jersey. Talk about service-minded uh, mentality, right? So even as a young kid, you deliver a newspaper and it gets wet, you're, you're done, right? You're not going to get your 35 cents a week. So service mentality is quite ingrained into my DNA from a young age. And after going to engineering school and then working for uh, large Fortune 100 companies on the technology side, I moved into location-based entertainment business in the late 80s, uh, supporting the large parks that were opening up and, and expanding here in Central Florida. And I've been in that business from the mid 80s until now. I keep thinking I'm going to have a real job at some point and um, I won't, you know, won't, won't get paid to enjoy actually what it is that I that I do from day to day. Um, that that uh, is, yeah. Jerry, that is the ultimate goal, though, right, is to find something yeah. you enjoy and continue to do it. Right? Uh, yeah. And which is why I don't think about retirement that much or, you know, even at my age, people ask you, aren't, aren't you ready to retire? And go, retire from what? Right. I, you know, I get up with a with high level of excitement every day. And even with all the challenges and transitions that you have within an organization and dealing with people worldwide, not just internal teams, but external teams as well. It can wear you down and the 24 hour day is alive and well, you know, for, for our 
type of company that has products that are being supported uh, worldwide. So started off in technology group, moved into location-based entertainment, supporting on the technology side, and then um, doing design work, creative work, and ultimately moving in, into dynamic in uh, 2017. Originally just supporting U.S. operations and sales support and installation support, moved into the role of president of U.S. Uh, team, and then through the restructuring, uh, was promoted to CEO of the, the new company. So I kind of, it's still service-based, it's still kind of rebuild, it's transformational, and it's, you know, it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger, right? So I think survival is the name of the game and slow and steady and keeping your head straight when everything around you is going a little crazy is, is kind of the key to success. Dynamic is known for creating some of the world's most innovative ride products, such as the Soren ride down at Disney or the Harry Potter ride. We were the first company to put people on the end of a robot arm, a Kuka robot arm, which was very novel 12 years ago. And we've done four or five of those since. We most recently came up with the Mario Kart ride, which was debuted in Japan a few years ago, Hollywood last year, and we debuted in Orlando this year. Uh, but through the, the, the fun of COVID and the lack of sales into location-based entertainment, we had to pivot and restructure our business. And so we went through a restructuring and downsizing through using the court system and using bankruptcy protect, protection in Canada and the U.S. It can wear you down over the last, you know, mentally and physically wear you down. And that was 2023. So don't want to repeat it. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. 2024 is going to be kind of a breakout year for our business. You talked about a big shift you went through with your business through the bankruptcy system. Can you just, as it relates to service and the, the role of service in operations, what was it like before and what is it like now? Yeah, so service as a ride manufacturer, service is key to ongoing sustainability and, and a trusted relationship with your clients. The rides that we create have a high level of danger innate to those systems and they need to be properly maintained and upgraded and inspected. And so when we went through the, and that was the business of dynamic, you know, pre-bankruptcy. So when we went through that, everyone was, you know, all of our clients were asking, well, who's going to take care of us? What are we going to do? And through the bankruptcy process, and then after we maintained connection with those clients and retained the same resources that we had prior to the bankruptcy so that there was there wasn't really a bump in the road for the clients so they didn't see a big change in the quality or the the quality of the service or even the timeliness of the service which in the ride business is a big issue right downtime is a is a big no-no so we knew that when we were going to go forward and if we we're going to continue as a business you have to maintain that capability because nobody else can maintain your systems the way that you can as well as you train them, uh, train your clients and uh, that have purchased your systems to take care of them. A lot of these companies have huge transitions in their own internal maintenance and engineering teams. A lot of that institutional knowledge goes away when those individuals go away. We were fortunate enough to be able to retain the smart guys that knew how to knew how the systems were designed, knew how they ran, knew when something broke, how to quickly fix it and get it running again. I think, Fred, the the real story there is. Once we knew that we were there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel, we were going to come out as a restructured company and that we wanted to maintain the relationships with the client base that we had. We had to make sure that we had the right staff and engage with us for for the future. You know, it reminds me of Good to Great or one of those books when it says it's not necessarily people are your greatest asset. It's the right people that are your greatest asset. 
in the company. And it sounds like that's what you're saying, Jerry, is, you know, as you're going through this restructuring, your biggest focus, your number one focus was to make sure you can retain those right people and find the right seats for them. Is that? Yeah, um, is yeah that absolutely. Right? I mean, in a lot of cases, I had to advocate for the team that we have today because the ownership isn't connected to this business in the way that uh, the large parks are. And so you have to say when you need a, a controls engineer or a structural engineer, well, why do we need two of them? Or why do we need three? Well, I need somebody for the first 12 hours of the day. I need somebody for the second 12 hours of the day because it's a worldwide response uh, capability that you need to present, whether you're using a network operation center or you're just using emergency phone numbers for different right. parts of the world. So there was some internal education that had to go along with that as well as the team that was retained, knowing that they had somebody next to them that they can rely on. Like, it almost had like a scene teal six mentality, which is who do you want on your team? You can vote them on and you can right. vote them off. So we kind of did a couple of rounds of that to make sure that the team that we were anxious to keep, that everybody else was comfortable with them being on the team as well. We did. I didn't want to start the new group with any drama. And, and you know, obviously yeah. it will come because that's just life, but as long as I can minimize that and, and everybody around them liked the person that was next to them in a way that they can rely on, even if they didn't have the exact same skill set, that was important for the transformation and transition. You just added even more to that. It's not only right people, right seat. It's the camaraderie, the chemistry, the people that know how to work well. Like the greatest sports teams, you can look at their journey and it's because they know how to work together and constantly. And to keep that glued and to your point, to be that tier one operator, it sounds like your first order of business was to keep that team together and keep that talent in the right seats. I think that's a really good lesson. No matter what you do, it should be one of your number one priorities. Yeah, I think it's, you know, they, they say the hardest thing to change within an organization is the culture, right? And I think it's, you know, I kind of represent the direction that I want it to go and what I expect. And I kind of had the two rule mentality, right? You know, there's only two ways you can get in trouble with me. And the rule number one is you need help and you don't ask for it. And rule number two is you, you see somebody who needs help and you don't offer to help them. Outside of that, we all make mistakes. We'll uh, spill the milk, don't kill the cow, or bounce against the guardrails, whatever metaphor you want to use. That just is a part of the complicated business that we're, that we're in. But as long as you have a team where there's a trusted culture, and the trust was the trust was eroded because when you go through a bankruptcy and you lay off 100, 200 people, and then you're keeping 30, how do those 30 people know that you're good for your word because you weren't good for your word the day before yesterday, right? So I think that rebuild mm. of internal trust and whether it's paid vacation time or making sure you make payroll on time or paid benefits. I mean, it's the simplest things, but you have to be, your word has to be good. And so what we've tried to do is be good to our word. And if things are a little bit wacky or a little bit uncertain, at least let everybody know what's going on. So I think rebuilding trust and internally was key because those are your client facing resources. And if they don't trust the organization because of what the organization's just gone through, it doesn't matter. They're not going to present your, your service capability well for the market. That was kind of step one. That was kind of a Q3, Q4 effort. Retainage, don't have, don't lose anybody. If you pick the 30 best people, what you don't need is 3% of them leaving, right? That's 10% of your mm -hmm. workforce. So retention was really important, you know, paying them the right amount, giving them the right time off. Uh, flex time, I think, is real important for that team. The second, the 2024 will be about letting the world know that we're a trusted entity. And that's whether it's for continued service on ride systems or parts, 
or supporting other manufacturers' rides, which we do as well. The theme for Dynamic in 2024 is going to be Rebuild Trust. You just did a really good job of articulating how to build trust, whether it's lost or needs to be established. It's got to be a very focused and purposeful way to do it as a leader. And I just love some of the insights and guidance you just gave us to do that. Because to your point, that that camaraderie, that keeping that right talent is so, that trust is so important. And I love the pay well and all this. It, you know, I I heard this one, uh, one great CEO say, you know, we're going to hire five people to do a job of 10 people. And we're going to pay them the amount of eight people. That's a really good design. If you think about it, you're going to get high productivity. You're going to pay them well so that it's not a distraction and they're going to love their, what they do. And they're not going to step over each other. I just think it's awesome. So also oh. remove the ceiling, right? Yeah. So remove the ceiling and let people expand right. their own personal desires. Yeah. One question, because the talent question was actually what was going through my head. It sounds like you did, you've done a really good job of building up the trust that recognizing that, hey, look, promises were broken through the bankruptcy and that, hey, we didn't, our business didn't work out. I imagine it had to be a lot of goodwill, though, going into that for you to be able to transition folks into yeah. take a chance with it post-bankruptcy. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's not a magic trick by any means. I think a lot of the people that I wanted to stay on were people that I was already doing good with, the people, mm -hmm. the teams that were already performing. You wanted to keep those guys around, even if their skill set didn't match your needs. Because you just knew you could grow under them and they're scalable and they're they're able to venture to areas that maybe a little bit outside of their comfort zone. Who's going to stick around? Who's going to be on the boat with us, right? Because we're all on a boat together. So that was kind of the first step. And of course, nobody believes it until they get a job offer, right? Because the new company is a new company. So everybody gets a new employment agreement, new job offer. We're now in rebuilding mode and the team's still intact. And so as we go and build trust, I believe those individuals, if I'm, if I'm not participating in the conversation, I feel like I have a good front team, you know, kind of representing all of us and representing the brand. That's very cool. And, and I like the intentionality of making sure you've got the right folks, the building, keeping them close, even before the, the bankruptcy event, you already had goodwill to build on and, and then take them forward. W one thing that I would love to know more about is as you think about your business today, and its relationship to service versus your business as well as pre-bankruptcy. What's the, if I had to tease out the difference between now and then, what would that be? I'm going to say it's always been a part of the mantra of timeliness of service, timeliness of response, doing what you're going to say when you said you're going to do it. I think that part of the industry and part of the sales cycle and part of locating the best places in the world to create attractions and the best partners to have in creating those attractions I find that we try and be very responsive when there's a request or quote unquote the ball's thrown into our court to try and get it flipped around as, as quickly as possible so that we can keep the, keep the momentum moving. That's a different type of service relationship, but it's one that's important to us because I think we take our time with it. They may believe if it's not important to us, why do they want to do business with us? Well, we say, hey, it's so important to us. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. One example that I'll give you is I was at LBI show in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and, uh, and we're looking at LED panel screens, which are very ubiquitous in the market these days. And all those screens are manufactured in China, all in one city, all in Shenzhen. At the show at LDI in Las Vegas, if you were to take out everything that was made in China out of the show, the hall would be empty. It was 95% manufactured in China. 
So I'm going around looking at screens because we want to, you know, we're looking at, you know, the next level of technology for our experiences as well. And it's, it's like a two X differentiation between projection and metal screen and LED screen. So we're walking around and you're talking to them and everybody, although they had a U.S. representative sitting in the backgrounds, a Chinese sales marketing biz development. Right. And so as soon as I would say, I want to look for products for my projects in China, the Westerners would get pushed aside. And then I would do a knee how and do my WeChat share and everything else. I got proposals the next day. You need wow. to compete with that. If you don't compete with that, you're going to be lost. The timeliness of your response, whether it's a partnered, a joint venture relationship or a vendor relationship, it's key to showing your interest in what it is that you want to do together. And if you're on the sales side, then, hey, you know, they're very competitive with these commodity products. They're trying to beat each other up. I feel the same way. There's a lot of companies out there that produce unbelievably great uh, location-based entertainment products from the big parks and even the smaller parks. And now you see specialty family entertainment centers and themed restaurants and things like that. There's a lot of smart people out there doing this business. And so what you have to do is number one, be the kind of person that they want to do business with. You know, when I go golf, when I hang out with this person, if we weren't working together, right. Kind of of from that personalized uh, relationship standpoint, but also be timely in your response. So I think that going forward for us is important. And maybe I have this from working in China for so many years for the last 10 or 15 years, it's three to one, four to one, five to one. So as even as as timely as you're being with your response, they got somebody ready, you know, ready to take your response, act on it and get back to you. And they'll pass the ball around amongst their team and you can't compete against it. Right. So timeliness and response, I think, is going to be really important from a from a service standpoint for our team going forward. Nice. That's a you know, it's impressive, yeah. actually, story of how yeah. rapidly they respond. I mean, I, you point on the human aspect of they're here, there's travel, there's time zones, and still got it back. And these bids, and these bids that were turned out 24 hours, these bids are anywhere from 700 to $1.2 million bids. They're not, I'm not, they're not selling me a car, right? I'm not buying a Ford F-150 pickup truck. I'm buying almost a million dollars worth of hardware. And for them to be so efficient in their process to return that information with some level of confidence. And, you know, I'm sure they, they know their cost, their cost base, and they know the shipping, and then they know what they're, what margin they're willing to do and not completely have a race to the bottom as a, as a commodity product. It was, to me, it's just impressive. And that's the, that's the way a lot of the world is going to go. If you want to be competitive, you're going to have to compete with that. It's amazing. Like that story just encapsulates Everything about the expectations of service today and tomorrow, what you just said, the and is the inner workings too, Jerry, what you were just saying. So you, you hit on the like the expectation, the external expectations, timeliness, you fulfill your promise, the other your commitment you made, the accuracy, the quality, the relationship, the personalization. They packaged all those expectations up and they delivered it, but they delivered it with this machine, to your point. Because they have the fundamental, and we talk about this in episode two, it has, they have the fundamentals nailed and they probably continue to even tweak the fundamentals of the operations of the service that they deliver. And so like that whole story to me, just, I, I would love to just unpack that and like, yeah. tr- like in a glass box and see, how did they do that? Uh, pro- do it? So process. So do you guys know who Rob Deerdick is, the skateboarder? Yeah. Yes. He does the ridiculousness show. I heard, I saw something in, and I'm deep scrolling through Instagram where he tapes 350 shows a year and he does it all in like three weeks. 
And he said, I can do more if I'm better organized and I have better process tools. So it's how can you do your work more efficiently? If you have an eight hour job and you make it last eight hours, you're, that's the status quo. If you have an eight hour job and you get it done in two, hey, pay, I, I want the same amount of money. It's just now I got six hours to go and do something else. Right. I got to figure out how to do that because time is the enemy. Traditionally in, in our business, you always need to be open in the spring for a big summer. And if you miss a big summer, you miss the whole year. So all of this work all holiday long, you know, all winter long because you're driving against a spring opening. And that still happens around the world today. So this timeliness of if it if I did the last ride, I built it, I designed it, built it, installed it, and it's 18 months. How can I do that exact same thing in 12 months? And they go, yeah. I mean, you know, if you, you have a team that's like used to normal status quo mentality, they'll say it's not possible, right? And mm -hmm. I say, well, if it's not possible, we can no longer be a business because our competitors can do it. That's so awesome. how, can, how can they do it and we can't do it? Is it you or is it me? So I'm trying to constantly push them. I had a meeting with our team the other day and we're developing a product. And he said, okay, we move that to the 2025 calendar from 2024. And I said, if we don't start that in 2024, I will be fired. I will, I will not have a job. They go, really? I'm going, yeah, this is, this is important, guys. You as a CEO, directly telling your team, this is important, this matters, and you need to get it done in this time frame. Directly being the force of change that the team sometimes needs to kind of understand that they have to do things differently. Because you're seeing the status quo, and you're like, this isn't working. The comp competitive environment is changing. You need to adapt to it. We need to adapt. Otherwise, we're not going to survive. I'll add to that. A lot of times we talk about you got to be this inspirational leader, this charismatic leader. You got to engage, and there's there's some truth to that. But the lens or the 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 advice and the example you just gave, Jerry, was about you're showing as a leader and as the top leader is you're continuing to look across the different landscapes to see what competitors are doing, what companies are doing, what business models are doing. And you're demonstrating that this is not just you having some insane idea and, and really pushing people hard to an expectation that can't be reached. You're demonstrating this is out there. And if we don't strive to get there or pass that, then we're going to die the slow and painful death. And that's another way of, I mean, I hate to say this, it is another way of inspiring. I mean, you already built the trust. You have the camaraderie. You have the talent. You talked about that in the past. Now that you got to demonstrate that you're keeping tabs on what's going on in the environment and where you're placing in that race. It's good to look around. Some of it's gut feeling. Some of it is, you know, what do you think the guest is going to want or like when you're building products? But part of it to get to that point is a lot of trust building, a lot of responsiveness and a good trusted team around you. And the 30 people that I have, I can scale underneath them 10x. And so I do have the right group to grow again, you know, when the knock on wood, when the time comes. But right now we're, we're top heavy because I get the best. Right. You're starting to touch on this. And I want to ask a kind of a question around leadership and in, in the transformation. And I know when we talked another time, you, you really, what hit me is you talked about this leadership pivot that you had to do from when you used to just do the design, the strategy, and the ribbon cutting, it was almost as you called it, and then you handed it off to someone else. And then you had to pivot to now you have the end to end as the CEO. Talk a little bit about those growing pains as a leader 
in when you're doing a transformation and at the same time as a leader, you're pivoting into a much larger responsibility. What did you learn from that? Well, for me, I don't know if it's just me or the way that I was brought up. The, the title never meant anything to me. Even today, somebody else will call me CEO. I don't recognize it. So I don't recognize where you are in the hierarchy, but I do appreciate the fact that I'm expected to lead a group of people and expected to have some insight in what the market wants or you know where the trends are going. And so from that standpoint, you almost have to say, well, if no one else is leading, I guess it's my job. And there's enough books out, uh, you know, Seth Good and a bunch of other guys have, have talked about tribe leaders. So, okay, if, I'm, if I don't think I'm the tribe leader, who is, right? And so now all of a sudden you say, well, if it's me, I guess this is what I get to do. And so you start marching the team in a certain direction. And I think I remember Steve Jobs saying, you know, when he had left and gone to Next, and there was somebody else in there running Apple for a while, they said, he kept the boat loading barely, but he did, it wasn't pointing in the right direction. Then Steve Jobs came back and then pointed the boat in the right direction. I'm trying to keep the boat floating and keep it pointed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So you're doing both at once. So I think the style for me is a little bit of everyone gets a chance to make mistakes and, you know, hurry up and make mistakes to, to be successful. As opposed to saying, I won't tolerate failure. So Give them the tools, remove the roadblocks, give them the resources they need, whether they're other people or money or time or space, physical space, then that's kind of what you do. You're you're moving all the roadblocks to give people the chance to be successful that you know are way better at doing their job than you could ever do. But if they didn't want to do that job, I, I have no problem going and doing it. So I would say, what about this? What about this? And I think that's what 20 or 30 years of experience in the business does for you, your self-confidence goes up where you see how somebody's executing a project a certain way. And you say, have you tried it this way? You know, don't sit on the branch you're trying to cut when you're up in the tree. Like uh, get closer to the trunk of the tree and reach out and cut the branch off. So I think just some of those little tips and then also think about legacy planning. I'm not going to be doing this job forever. You know, Ray Dalio and his group at Bridgewater, they take years in legacy planning. And, you know, I won't say he's a mentor of mine, but he's somebody, you know, principals and somebody that I read and that I follow because I'm figuring he's made it. You know, what what has he done differently from everybody else? And it's really basic principles. And it's, you know, don't be reactive to everything. Don't be emotional to everything. Think of the long-term play and where do you, how do you want to fit within that? And then if it's you not doing the job, who's going to come in and do the job, do the job for you? And I'm thinking about that for my own team, whether it's a technician that needs to be moved up to a manager, a manager needs to be moved up to a, a director or a director that can now lead a group as the vice president. Your, your example, but, you know, by what... the way, on the, on the boat really hits home with what Will and I have been talking about around how do you run your business effectively and transform. So keeping the boat afloat and making sure the boat's not taking on water and it's healthy and it's navigating yeah. the water. So I did that for two years awesome. before bankruptcy and I figured out I didn't have enough fingers. Right. For too many holes, right. right? I didn't have enough fingers. I'm like, here, I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. I say, I need help. And what kind of help do you need? I'm like, you know, I need a lot of money or, you know, we're done. So I think if you've been in a boat that sunk before you and you see that coming around again, you know, a little bit earlier in the, in the, in the scenario, what you need to do to prevent enough being on another boat that's sinking. So there is a business yeah. out there. Boats. <laughs> it's not the business that not that, we could digress to that, especially living in Florida. There's definitely businesses living in sinking boats and reefs. But there's a key to this around, you hit it, on experienced leaders can see a couple steps ahead because they were on that sinking boat. But there's another thing that you talked about is you don't have enough fingers to fill all the holes. There's this art of 
anticipating what could happen and getting in front of it, but also being a leader that's not afraid to help out, but not stay in the help out right. stage and know that you have to take a step back and put talent in there and hold them accountable to move that boat forward. And I, th I think that your examples are spot on. They're going to get it. They're going to execute it 70% to your liking or right. maybe less. And that's just the way it's going to be. It's when you're not there, the world goes on differently without you because you affect your world in only a way that you can. So you bring up the best talent and let them figure it out on their own. They're going to get 70% there. They're going to make some mistakes, but eventually they're going to be better than I am at doing this job. And, the, and early on in the 80s and 90s, when the location-based entertainment and the parks were being built up to this next level and this kind of war between uh, Disney and Universal was happening here in Central Florida, all of us were the benefits of, beneficiaries of those activities and still are today. And we were able to learn and make mistakes because no one had been down that road before. You know, prior to those guys, you had backstage tours was kind of the birthplace of Universal. And now look at look at the monster they are today. So they're a world leader in, in location-based entertainment and will continue to be. How do you avoid the mistakes? And even I make 10 mistakes a day. I'll, you know, I'll lose Will's email address to figure out what time the Zoom call is or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, double book my appointments or think I have a 10 o'clock appointment. And it's really an 11 o'clock appointment because it's a different time zone. So I think constantly, uh, hopefully they're recoverable, but you're always trying to stay in sync with a very busy world. Yeah. Hey, I know we're winding down here. And a question I like to ask before we wind down and, and throw it over to you, Jerry, is thinking about service and transformation and ops and technology, which is core to Fred and I's conversations. What haven't we asked that you would love to leave the audience with when if that are going through a, tra a service transformation or thinking about designing a service transformation in their space? Is there anything that you would leave them with that we just haven't asked the right question for? You know, you, are you keeping yourself relevant? And for me, I do it to the point where I, I frustrate my own kids. Like if you know the lyrics to a Taylor Swift song or a One Direction song or anything or 21 pilots or whatever, you're relevant for that crew, but your kids don't like that, <laughs> that you're that cool, right? Or that you're that connected to, to their to their genre of entertainment and, and interest. But in business, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly moving. Relevancy is going to be important and staying connected and reading the paper or, or following social media and and seeing what the next generation is doing, whether you're working in our business, you work with uh, um, Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, or you work with the ETC school out of Carnegie Mellon, out of Pittsburgh, or Caltech, or these other schools. So forcing yourself out of your comfort zone and staying relevant so that you can be competitive in today's market is what you need to do or else you'll be, you'll, you'll be left behind. Wow. Relevancy. I, I really like that message. That's a great one to end on. Thank you for that, Jerry. Really appreciate. And with that, I think we've wrapped up this episode. Jerry, it's been a great conversation and you've really shared some valuable insights with us on your transformation journey. I'll briefly summarize what stuck out for me. Sort of my takeaways. They were team, trust, and speed. With team, the importance of assembling the right team, building the right team cohesion, that SEAL Team 6 mentality, and also being top-heavy by design, which isn't something you often hear about, but I think it's a great strategic direction you're taking to build a top-heavy organization that can scale into the future. There's trust, recognizing when trust has been broken and that you have to be intentional 
to earn that trust back through transparency and integrity. And then speed, the need for your service experience to be responsive, to meet the industry's expectations. And you as a CEO going to your teams and setting that high bar of this is what I need from a speed and delivery standpoint, being that force of change. So those were really three big takeaways I took from what you walked us through. One thought that also kind of came up as you talked, and I kind of want to share it here, was the importance of keeping the boat afloat and steering the boat in the right direction, which maps really nicely what Will and I discussed in the second episode about managing the fundamentals well while driving the change your business needs. Now, for those listening, if anyone has any feedback on the episode, want to be a guest on the program or have specific topics you want us to cover, please reach out. You'll find Will's and my LinkedIn profiles in the description. We'll also have a link to Dynamic Entertainment and Jerry's LinkedIn profile if you want to learn more about them or Jerry. So thank you for listening. Thank you all.